So in cultivating skill, we also cultivate the skill of perception. So perception is the um, way we internalize experience, how we store it, how we label it. You know, something is seen through the eye, and that's it's internalized. It gets us. It touches us. It grabs us. It reminds us of something. That that function. That's perception. Yeah. And all we are most immediately moved by is not sights or sounds or touches, but by perceptions of them. The external senses of no particular power in the mind, apart from the trigger perceptions. So it's not there's anything delightful or horrible about the sense world, it's just the perceptions of it, which perceptions trigger off intentions, the movement towards getting hold of, getting rid of, getting involved with, defending oneself and so forth, these kind of reflexes arise from perceptions. Now these perceptions are pretty instinctual or, or get established. Yeah. You carry perceptions of people. So perceptions get heightened and, and intensified. Intensified by what's called anutsaya or latent tendencies, which tendencies towards uh, ill will, so fault finding, remembering the things that are bad, storing up the perceptions of other people that have been disagreeable. So it's uh, an Amazing, you know, how this, this, this whole mechanism happens, isn't it? You know, why does one, why does one's mind spend so much time, you know, sorting out the things that are you know, wrong or bad, something purely external and particularly in the past, yet we're still, can be carrying it? Or the things or the percept, or that occur, and outside that tendency towards sense craving, things we delight in, things we long for, things we found enjoyable. So all that comes up, perceptions. And they're quite pretty tainted, aren't they? I don't know if you've, when you run a few through your mind day after day, creating these kind of terrible tribunals of wrongs, or these luscious scenarios of how wonderful it all was. <laughs> You think, well, if it was going to be that good, surely. <laughs> it wasn't that bad, surely, otherwise you wouldn't have survived. It wasn't that good, otherwise you wouldn't have left it. So these, these latent tendencies in Utsai are often apparent in perceptions. They, they become caricatures. Every time you go there, it gets a bit more intensified.
So you can have kind of perceptions of old romances that suddenly seem like the most wonderful uh, match in heaven. Yeah. And then you flash another thing, what a tragic mess up it all was. (laughs) Or whatever, you know. And this storytelling goes on. So these latent tendencies triggering off and, and caricaturing perceptions. So there's, uh, in the Honeyball Sutta, it says, you know, that one fares along independent and free, untroubled, when there's nothing in perception to delight in or take action against, you know, to repel. So these latent tendencies are not arising. So... Tendencies, anutsaya, towards sense desire, towards ill will, towards views, how we can form, spend time forming a particular view about a religion or a person or a point of the doctrine or, you know, culture, monasticism, bhikkhus, lay people, you know, and these incredible things that harden up into positions and camps and campaigns and you know comparisons so you know what you you consider any person or people how much of that is is dependent upon this tendency towards forming views where suddenly sentient beings you know people become these stereotypes or tendency towards becoming measuring ourselves past, future what I was, what I will be that continual fretting away lining up, linking up the dots of personal history to prove that you are one way or another, that you're a tragic romantic or you're a basket case or you're a, you know, <laughs> linking up the dots, little dots, because perceptions always have some truth in them. The point is that they're, they're partial. They're very they're immediate and they're partial. There's a sort of 5%, 10% truth in them, blurred. And yet that's what we, these tendencies build up, these anutsaya build up dramas and intense configurations and wax models in our minds that loom and walk around, sometimes larger than life. You can be fighting with some monstrous perception that your mind has created about yourself or other people. A significant other, looming, large. 
So, you know, perception, which is a necessary function of the mind, needs to be, you know, it, it develops some skill around it. So these are essentially, uh, so these corrupting tendencies don't take hold of it and make a whole banquet out of it, make a whole, you know, artifact out of it all. There are particularly, there are characteristic or four standard um, prescribed methods or counter-perceptions that we can use just to lever the mind away from its uh, most obvious uh, uh, corruptions, sticking points. So we have things that we long for in terms of the immaterial world, a new car, new gadget, uh, whatever it is, you know, you recognize that, uh, or clothes, whatever it is, you know, in five years' time it will be something you're not really interested in. How long does it take before the shine goes, before the, the gleam goes, before the, the lust, lustrousness of it goes? thing of beauty is a joy for a minute and until you store it up then it becomes humdrum so we just recognize or that the nature of things is to, to, is to fade or to crack or to break down that's just what they do so you know, it helps to cool the appetite It's towards people, towards other people, lust or attraction, obsessive attraction towards other people, physical form. You reflect upon the, what physical form entails. You've got one. <laughs> it's not that difficult, to, not that far away. What meat and sinews are about, really, in skin. It's just, yeah, you know, it's, it holds, you, holds the bag together, but... What you see really is a sort of skin around a shape and skin where you've already got some. <laughs> it's not that great. <laughs> it's just that, isn't it? Shape changes. So you start to break up the appearance of physical form into these elements, these rudimentary things. Let alone just, you know, penetrating beneath the skin to the meat or the viscera, which is you know, actually pretty, pretty challenging. The moment we have a dead body in the monastery, so you can go and contemplate that, the dead body, how it looks like a person. And over a period of time you'll see it change. What is that? Who is that? What do we, what do we give? What do we put into that? How much of our own energy and juice do we find ourselves losing on this uh, attraction towards others? So you contemplate 
You know, what do you see? What actually is there? Then you have uh, the standard perception for for something that's uh, disagreeable. Say you look at the the leftover food, waste in the slop buckets, human waste, disgusting, smelly. You see it just as elements, as earth, water, stuff, just part of nature. Nature, life is smelly. You know, you root around and earth is smelly. Most things are smelly. <laughs> it's just the way they are. <laughs> The flowers, flowers smell nice, but most things are kind of a bit rotten, really. It's not their fault. It's just that's like that, isn't it? Living things decompose, and uh, they're nice when we arrange them in certain ways. So, I mean, sometimes people find it even difficult that it's the, we eat the food in the bowl. You know, can't bear to see a the strawberry cheesecake meat um, spaghetti, you know, or curry. How awful. And yet, you know, it's so... How much effort goes into trying to keep these appearances going yeah. because of that shock or distaste for things to, you know, pass out of that arranged, tidied up, prepared preened state into something that's more naturally the way it is. And you contemplate you know, that things by themselves tend to break down into something that we don't find it attractive or even find directly repugnant. So you get used to that. It's just that. It's not actually repelling, it's just Mind makes it so. We have aversion to other creatures, fear, fear of animals, or distaste for creepy crawlies, or aversion to other people. The practice is one of patient acceptance, kindness, as they have the... Consider everything sentient as that which is subject to pain, need, hunger, thirst, protection, security, wanting, death. So, you know, just go your way. (laughs) Let it be the way it is. These creatures, uh, we don't want to harm them because they too don't want to be harmed or violated other beings, other people, sometimes much more difficult because the complexities, we're not particularly averse to their physical form, but to their psychological habits, to their chattiness or their silence or their stubbornness or their flimsiness or whatever. But just recognize that other people's stuff is their stuff. Why make your stuff out of it why add more to it why not you know why pick it up why get involved with it why 
find your own latent tendencies getting stirred up with aversion or views or opinions. Just let it, you know, be that way. And retreat time is a good time to cultivate that sense of sort of a spaciousness. It's not exactly not noticing, but spaciousness. So in terms of behavior, you know, there's things we can do, things we can point out, things that we can establish, and then the rest of it you've got to leave up to spaciousness. Trying to have a monastery full of perfect people is dream, whatever perfect people are. Perhaps we've already got them. But the varieties, the diversities, you can snag on. So we look for the similarities, both in terms of our common aspirations, you know, and our common weaknesses, our common vulnerability, our common flaws, our karma that we that we are carrying. Don't don't make negative karma for yourself around it. These are kind of standard reflections, patikula. They go against the cooler. The cooler means the the uh, the grain or the the family or the normal band of things. You know, pati, you reverse it, you go against it. So your mind isn't just going into that same old story building where these uh, corruptions, these latent tendencies, take over and build things up. So the only thing you can see or notice in a people on retreat are the things that annoy. That's all one can see. And the rest of it, the virtue, the spaciousness, the offerings, the generosity, you know, the, the perseverance is all gone, all missed. Mm-hmm. This is what these uh, tendencies will do. They mean they, they form particular perceptions, inform perceptions, store perceptions, become the medium through which one perceives things. So when we practice skills of perception, you can these particular um, particular reversals that you can deliberately cultivate. A lot of our practice is just about that, just at least checking the flow of, checking the push of these. And the perception um, that's most encouraged, constantly encouraged by the Buddha, is the perception of anicca, relativity, flux, change. Nothing is absolutely anything. Everything is partially this, partially that. Morphing, moving into something else, shifting, dependent on how you want to look at it. None of, nothing that we can perceive is actually finally absolutely so. So nicha means the absolute, anicca means the non-absolute. Yeah. And everything that we experience is relative, non-absolute. And yet there's this tremendous tendency to absolutize, to make it, this is it. Or there is an it that we could get. We could find the it, whether it's 
subtle, metaphysical, philosophical, sensual, subtle, sensual, formless, you know, transcendent it. And the point that's very difficult to, you know, we can understand it just about conceptually to really grasp or really to go into as an as a experience there isn't an it. So the Buddha never postulated an absolute, an absolute truth. He said there's an ultimate honesty, which is the ultimate honesty is nothing to get hold of. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's things we get hold of for, bit, for times. You know, we can get stuck, we can get hold of things, but there's that, the deathless is the not getting hold of anything, the not, the not an it at all. It's a kind of a release that can never really be summed up in a word because words always create its out of experience. So there's nothing, you know. So this um, reification or making things out of what are, we look at it in a much more kind of ordinary level we normally imagine or experience or perceive a life made out of events and things. Events and things, you know, things that pass through time. That is bodies or thoughts or sensations, definite thing that passes through time. And the mind is kind of Perception is is attuned to that, the next thing that's going to happen. So we take something like breathing, you know. The most, perhaps the thing we can really focus on, it's not going to go away as long as you're alive. So you study that. Everything else maybe comes and goes or it's accidental breathing. Is something you can contemplate as a as a thing, or as an event, and you realise it's 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 kind of neither. It's not really a thing because it's always shifting and changing. It's not really an event because it doesn't exactly um, happen. Mm-hmm. We can experience a flow that could be described as fast or soft or smooth or bright or and it really depends on how how you're approaching it. Sometimes the breath can seem like a breathing can seem like a still point, almost invisible. Sometimes, if the breathing stops or passes away, it's no longer discernible. So the mind that's bent on fi- on holding an it gets kind of drifts off, finds something else. You know, so quite commonly, you know, when the, we we either can't find the breathing because there are other it's are happening are much louder and bigger, or you settle into it and it starts to dissolve and disappear. That's that's the way it is. Breathing is dependent 
experience of breathing is dependent on our energies. It's not really an event out there. It's in, in a, you know, a flow that we're part of. So it depends upon, the experience of it depends upon the way we, way we look at it, way we are with that. As you get more fully into that, it begins to disappear into things like happiness, calm. So you wonder, where, where is it? So it shifts from material to immaterial. The body itself dissolves from form into something more like energy. And can move from being the experience of uh, an object into something like the quality of radiance or happiness or joy. Um, So the event, you know, it's continually shifting its domains and dimensions. And any one of these we might feel, oh, this is, this is the good bit, this is the it, this is the thing, this is the truth, you know, this is the bit I want or don't want. And that's not, uh, that's where the lock, the lock occurs. So the perception of impermanence or relativity is whatever it is, it's changing, shifting, isn't exactly this. The point is really not to to I mean we can't absolute absolutize an object into being something. So we start to step back from that into more looking into or moderating the way in which we relate to experience, whether we plunge into it, shift away from it. Sometimes when thoughts disappear, there can be almost like a an agitation or a panic to get another story going because it feels kind of curious or strange or even frightening or to have something to be chattering away in one's head. Or when energy shifts, it becomes calm. We can get a little bit of fear comes in. So we just, or we get excited when the mind starts to get a bit more um, joyful. Really, the cultivation of a particular relationship of non-attachment, of spaciousness, comes through going through all these, experiencing some of these as just another changing shape, changing event. And with that, you begin to get a sense of something that isn't an event or a thing. Would call it space or knowing or awareness. It doesn't really happen. There's nothing happening in it. But you can't. It's not a not a knowing. Quite. It's not a thought. It's not a concept. But it's more a sense of the non-attachment, the non-involvement, the non-rejection, the non-hardening, the non-grasping experience. This is what we can learn skills of perception around breathing in, breathing out walking up and down, being in a body. It's almost like there's a continual question, what is this? Hmm? And uh, 
how am I, how is it being held? Holding lean is leaning on, holding is clinging, holding is resting on. So noticing you kind of trying to concentrate on the breath, there can be a lot of holding in that. My you know how you practice with this because it's, it's often the case if you don't hold the breath you find yourself just spinning out and everything else. But it is a matter of coming perhaps coming back to that time and time again and recognizing the moments when we wake up from our stories, from our anutsaya, from our you know, these urges and pushes and you wow, what's that? And that openness and that spaciousness you listen in to breathing in and breathing out. So it remains kind of open. Things will tend to unravel by themselves if we keep that openness, that sense of the relative, relatively bad, relatively good, relatively skillful, relatively unskillful. But it it shifts and changes. Every time one of these changes becomes apparent, you wake up a little bit from the drama or from the intensity of one thing. Well, what was that? And notice from that space, light, open space, gives you a, an awareness. It's not obstructed, not, not, a, not grasping. Feel the breathing in, breathing out. So often our, our work on the obvious planes of where we get you're angry, upset, disappointed, fascinated, attracted, you know, does temper, does change the, the crudeness of the mind, crudeness of its responses into something that's much more subtle and supple. And this is, you know, this basic work is not to be neglected because it's there from learning the to not take perception seriously, to, to recognize what, what hooks lie within that, what toxins lie within that, that our relationship to sights and sounds and touches and thoughts and memories becomes more cool, more reflective, less engaged. And that's, you know, that is part of it, isn't it? That's the kind of, you know, basic work that we do to come into this lightness of being. Which the experiences melt, flow, pass, arise, pass, but there's, there's, not, there's not the clinging unto them. So the skills of perception are both directed towards that which is perceived. So we challenge some of the uh, solidity of what we think 
what we make objects out of. And then also, you know, to the enemies and demons and angels and passions and horrors. They just, you know. And then towards the act of perception itself, the way in which something is internalized. When something is internalized, it's like it digs into you. You know, when something is grabbed and internalized, it's kind of like a fish taking a hook. We feed on it. So the very act of perception, taking something in, is to be taken lightly through recognizing it just... You know, it's just the movement, the perception. Whatever is poured in passes. There's no hunger for it. So this kind of a lightness of, of the mind can be a result, an ongoing theme for our practice, Very, it it's makes it or it's very the quality of it is enjoyment, cool enjoyment. 